อเมนเราไม่ได้ตั้งคำถามว่าอะไรคือเรื่องของเรื่องของเรื่องของเรื่องของเรื่องของเรื่องของเรื่องของเรื่องของเรื่องของเรื่องของเรื่องของเรื่องของเร
and he made comparisons with the fact that a greater than Jonah was here. And Jonah was a sign. And in the same incident, he refers to the Queen of Sheba, who came from a great distance to listen to Solomon. Now that was not a parable. And therefore, we are firmly of the opinion that Jonah is not allegorical or a parable. Instead, it is an historical account. The place is mentioned, for instance, in verse 3, Tarshish and Joppa are real places, real historical places. Now, what basically is the theme of this book? Well, the theme is God is the God of the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, that might not mean much to us today, but it should. And it was certainly written in order that Israel might realize that although they were the chosen of God and they were highly favored, yet God was also the God of the Gentiles. And the God did look towards the Gentiles. And because the Jews were the chosen people, they tended to gloat on this and to be full of pride in this, and they would overlook the Gentiles. Now, the Lord indeed had chosen Israel, but he had chosen Israel in order that he might work out his great plan of redemption. And that great plan of redemption did not solely include the Jews. It included the Gentiles. And really what this book is about, the Lord is reminding them that as his people, they had, or they should have, a care and a concern for the perishing nations that were round about them. And that's the principal theme, that God is the God of the Jews and the Gentiles. And God calls his people to seek the repentance of the nations. The nations also were to be they were to be saved. They were to be evangelized, obviously, ultimately, in God's time. And the book would remind us that God's people will suffer divine displeasure if they fail to extend God's mercies to the nations. And God rightly delights in showing mercy to repentant Gentiles. Our God is a merciful God. Yes, we acknowledge that he is only merciful in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is true. But God is a merciful God, and we are not to confine the gospel to ourselves. We firmly believe in the doctrine of election. We don't say that we can understand it, 
but the Bible teaches it to us, and we recognize it. But our understanding of the doctrine of election is not in any sense a barrier to us in order that we might proclaim the gospel and the forgiveness of sins and God's mercy to every single individual who will hear. God alone knows whom he has chosen. The church doesn't know this. The people of God don't know it. God has not revealed this unto us. And therefore we are to value every precious soul. And we are to, as far as we're enabled, as far as our calling and our vocation will allow us, we are to declare and pro proclaim the gospel, full and free salvation to everyone, for all need it, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we are to remind people that God is a God who delights in mercy. We know the Bible talks about the judgment of God, the wrath of God. We know, and we don't hide it. We acknowledge it. But the Bible would teach us that judgment is God's strange work. What does that mean? Well, it simply means that this is a work that God does not like to do, but he will do. He doesn't like it. It's strange to him, but he will do it. If there's no repentance, if there's no forsaking of sin, if there's no calling upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the prophet Jonah lived about midway between the revolt of the ten tribes under Jeroboam and the time when they were taken into captivity by the king of Assyria. You remember what happened? After Solomon died, the kingdom was divided, and Jeroboam was the king of the ten tribes. Well, Jonah lived between the time of the revolt and the time when the ten tribes went into captivity, halfway between that period. And it's possible, it's possible that, that he began his ministry around the around the time when Elisha finished his ministry. Elisha was another prophet who preached to the ten tribes in Israel. And it may well be that Jonah began his prophetic ministry just when Elisha came to an end. And Jonah lived during the reign of Jeroboam II. There were two Jeroboams, but Jeroboam II, and that's between 786 and 746 BC before Christ. And he prophesied the expansion of the northern kingdom, which took place later in Jeroboam's reign. Now it's interesting to note that there is only one prophecy recorded of, Je of Jonas. And during the time of Jeroboam, uh, two, and we find it in Second Kings, and at verse uh, chapter fourteen and verse twenty-five. 
where we read, He restored, that is, God restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath unto the Sea of the Plain, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amattiah, the prophet, which was of Gath-Hefer. Now that's the only prophecy that is recorded of Jonah in the Old Testament, other than what we find in this book here. And it was a prophecy revealing the grace and the mercy and the kindness of God. During this time, the, during the time of Jeroboam II, the people in Israel were enjoying a time of prosperity. Things were going well for them, materially. But they were not worshipping God as they should. And they were not behaving as far as serving the Lord their God was concerned in a right way and in a right manner. And because of this, they had lost some territory to their enemies. But God, in his wonderful grace, restored to them what the enemies had taken from them. He didn't have to. They were disobedient. They were rebellious. That's his people. They weren't what they should be. But God, in his infinite grace and mercy, he bestowed upon them these things. He restored their lands that their enemies had taken from them. And that was a prophecy that was prophesied by Jonah, and it came to pass. Again, reminding us that the great God of heaven indeed is merciful. He's merciful even when we don't deserve mercy. And of course, that's all the time, for none of us deserves mercy. So during this time then, when Jonah ministered, the ten tribes in, in Israel were knowing a time of prosperity, a time of affluence, even although they were not behaving as they should towards the Lord their God. And they were able to build up their countries that is, Judah and Israel, because Assyria was not the mighty power that it did become eventually. Well, here's the situation then that we find ourselves in. Jonah was a prophet, and he had prophesied smooth things to the people, and the people were delighted with it, and God fulfilled the prophecy, and their prosperity continued. But now we come to our text. In amongst that environment, in amongst that situation, here suddenly the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise! Enough of this Jonah! Enough of this people here! Enough of speaking to them smooth things from the Lord. Now, Jonah, you're going to do something remarkable. What are you going to do? You're going to go to Nineveh. What was Nineveh? Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. 
And by this time, when the prophet was called by the Lord to go to Nineveh, by this time, Assyria was a great power, a world power. And they were feared, and they were hated, and they were a decadent people. They were full of idolatry and bloodshed. They were far from the Lord God of Israel. They didn't worship him in any shape or form. They cared nothing for him, and they worshiped their own gods. But here was Jonah, a prophet of the Lord, and he was going to be taken from his own place. Go and preach the gospel. We might say in, in modern terms, go and preach the gospel to that wicked people, the Assyrians, to those who are the enemies of Israel, to those who want to destroy Israel, to those who will ultimately come in the fullness of time and take the people of Israel away into captivity. Now you can imagine what this must have been like for Jonah. He was a faithful prophet of the Lord. And here he was. He was to be commanded to go and to preach peace. Ultimately, peace to the Ninevites. Does this not again remind us of the greatness of our great God? Does this not therefore cause us to, to marvel and to wonder that God would do this? Why did he do this? Why? Well, he was going to teach his people a lesson. That's why. He was going to teach them something that they might realize their, their special privileges that they enjoyed as a covenant people of God who had the law of God, who had the worship of God, who had the prophets, who had the covenants, who had the presence of God, that they might realize their, their missionary encounters and their responsibilities to reach out to others. At this time, Assyria was the most ruthless and bloodthirsty and cruel of nations. <clears throat> well, what then are we to derive from this in our introduction? Well, as we said, this book speaks to us of God. We must look past Jonah because ultimately we're inclined to believe that Jonah is a representative. Yes, it talks about Jonah, but Jonah is representing someone or something or some people. What is it? Well, some might say that he, what we have here in, in Jonah is a representation of man himself and how God deals with him and how man deals with God. Now, we would dismiss that immediately. We don't think that's the reason of the book at all. And in that sense, we don't accept that Jonah is a representative. Others might say, well, Jonah is a a representation of the prophetic ministry. 
and they will make reference to that uh, prophecy that I've just quoted to you that's found in 2 Kings where Jonah prophesies good things, smooth things, pleasant things to his people. But when the prophet receives a message that is not good, that is not popular, he will not then go forth and declare that message. The first message came from God. It was a smooth message, and people would love to heed it. But the other message, this message here was to go ultimately to this place and to tell the people to repent. That's a much more difficult thing to do, is it not? And therefore, he would not obey that message, happy to accept the first message, but not the second message, because the second message was not a pleasant message at all. Again, we would have to say this does not really accurately reflect uh, the message of the book either. Instead, Jonah, we believe, is a representative of Israel, of the nation of Israel itself. And God was speaking to Israel through this book, through the prophet Jonah. Because when Jonah was reluctant to go forth and to declare God's message to Nineveh, it was a picture of Israel's refusal to carry out its divine commission that it had received from Almighty God. If we go back, if we think and consider that great covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and how he said to Abraham that all the nations of the earth shall be blessed through him. It wasn't just going to be his people. It was going to be the, all the nations of the earth. And by this time, Israel had forgotten that, and they were so wrapped up in themselves that they failed to see there's others who need to come and they need to serve the one true and the living God. And now then, God was going to do something. He was going to send a preacher to this wicked people, to this wicked city, and by the sending of his prophet, he was not only going to stir up Nineveh, but he was going to speak to his own people. This is what God does. Suddenly, without warning, now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. This is what the prophet is all about. 
He receives a word. There's, a, there's another term that's used, the burden of the Lord. The Lord sends a burden upon his prophet, and the prophet must go forth and uh, unleash that burden. Declare that burden. And this is what was laid upon Jonah, and he sought to avoid it. He didn't want it. He didn't want God's mercy to be seen in that wicked place. He didn't want the people to repent. He didn't want Nineveh to be spared. But God had laid this burden upon him, and come what may, the Lord was able to make sure that that burden would be spoken and delivered to the people, and that they would hear. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. We know very little about Jonah. This would be another reason why we think that this book is not so much about Jonah. It is a book that is telling us about the people of God and their failure to grasp their responsibilities as that people of God. We want, therefore, to ask ourselves, here we are, friends, we come back and forth to the house of God. We're under the means of grace. We hear God's word proclaimed. We do trust that God in his word is speaking to us. And we are instructed to go forth and to disseminate the gospel as best as we can. You will have opportunities to, to speak to family members. You might have other opportunities to speak to neighbors, to friends, to work colleagues, other people that you might meet very, very occasionally as you go about your normal daily duties. Do you think it is incumbent upon you to say a word in season? Do, we, do you feel the burden at all to press the claims of Christ upon your nearest and your dearest? It would seem that the people of Israel were so wrapped up in their own world, in their own prosperity, in their own lives, and they didn't care for others who knew not the gospel, who did not worship the Lord God, and they were quite happy to see them perishing in their sins, following false, false gods and false religions that gave no hope when they themselves were under the covenant and they knew something of the one true and the living God, the one who had made heaven and earth, the one who had put the sun, the moon, the stars in place, the one who upholds all things, the God who is the God of providence, who works out all things in conformity to the purpose of his will the God who does as he pleases and none can stay his hand. They knew all about this. Jonah, as we shall see sometime, he knew all about the living God. He knew that he ordered and directed all things. 
What does he say? I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. And it was his God who had sent this great storm upon him. However, it didn't seem to move him. All his correct theology, and indeed he was correct in his theology, but none of it motivated him. None of, him, none of it moved him. None of them caused him to have any care or concern for others who were perishing. Can this be said of ourselves? Are we happy to come to places and to services like this, to enjoy fellowship, to hear God's word read and proclaimed, to take part in the worship of God, to know that our sins are forgiven, to know that we're right with God? Do we bask in these things? Do we delight in these things that Jesus Christ has secured for us, but we have no care or concern for others who are on that broad road that leads into destruction? And maybe there are some here this morning, and maybe there are strangers to grace, and maybe they don't, they haven't closed in with Christ. Well, friends, we are delighted to tell you that you're in the house of God. Here, we have gathered in that name that's above every name. Here, we seek to draw your attention to the Savior to the saviors of sinners, to the one who is the friend of sinners, to the one who showed his, his love for sinners. He didn't just talk about it. He didn't just have all his theology in place. He actually did something that no one else could possibly do. The Son of God came from heaven, and he came with the approval of heaven. Yes, he came willingly, and he came voluntarily, but he was also sent. He was sent on a mission, and that mission was to save sinners. And we have a duty, and a privilege, and an honor to be able to tell men and women and boys and girls to come and avail themselves of the Savior. We cannot keep this to ourselves. We cannot be like Jonah. We cannot be like the people of Israel and who would confine the blessings of God only to their own select few. No. Or we don't concern ourselves or get confused about, about the sovereignty of God and about election and about predestination, all of these things we believe. However, it does not fetter us. We also believe that in human responsibility, we also believe that we have a, we have a mandate to proclaim the gospel. And we also believe that every sinner who hears is commanded to believe the gospel. For God commands all men everywhere to repent. That's what the Apostle Paul said when he went to 
the, to Athens to preach the gospel there to that godless people, to those people who were involved in idolatry, who worshipped a multitude of gods. And the Apostle Paul was going to tell them that God, in some sense, overlooked their behavior. But now, but now that Christ has come, now that he has suffered and died, now that the Messiah has come, God commands all men everywhere to repent. And we cannot keep this to ourselves. We dare not. This is part of what it is to be a church. This is part of the church's commission and, and message. It is to be the mouthpiece for Christ. It is to command people to come and to embrace him as he is freely offered in the gospel. We are not going to be like Jonah. Jonah had a very unpleasant message to proclaim to the Ninevites. And we acknowledge that part of the Christian gospel is not pleasant. It's not. There is what Paul calls the offense of the cross. The offense of the cross. What is it? Well, he doesn't define it. But we can say what it is. We know something of it. The offense of the cross is quite clear, friends. It tells us all, young or old, religious or irreligious, it tells us all that we cannot save ourselves. It tells us whether we be high and mighty, whether we be a king or a servant, it tells the whole of mankind that you have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You have missed that mark. And the mark, as far as God is concerned, is perfection. Absolute perfection. God has not changed his standard. And therefore, every one of us has missed the mark. We are sinners in the sight of God. That's the offense. And for the natural man who, who likes to pride in himself that he can do this and do that, how he can change the world and how he is the master of his own destiny, it tells him quite clearly and sincerely that if you are to be saved, you must be saved by Jesus Christ and by Jesus Christ alone. And it is by the grace of God alone. That's offensive. It was offensive 2,000 years ago. It was offensive in the time of Jonah. It's offensive in the 21st century. And it's not a pleasant message, but it is God's message. And it tells the repentant, there's mercy. There's mercy with God. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He delighteth in mercy. He retaineth not his anger forever. Why? Because he delighteth in mercy. That is, in essence, what Jonah did not want to proclaim. But the gospel preacher must proclaim it. Because it is the gospel. It is 
his message that he has been given and under God. It is the power of God unto salvation. Friends, we're not out to offend anyone. It's not our business to offend. But the truth very often does. And we must leave the results with God. Amen. And may God bless his word to us. Let us pray together.